0: I want to start off. I read a story this week, and the, uh, the title is called Another Place from a woman named Jill Caratini. And um, this is the essence of what she was saying. She was talking about just the dominant culture that we live in oftentimes will shape our worldview. And so what we believe and how we see the world is oftentimes shaped by the culture that we live in. And so with that There's many different versions of that that we can look at to understand human history. For example, one of them is like atheism. One of them is um, consumerism, just a a culture of just buying and buying and buying. One is pluralism, many different beliefs that we have to choose from. And so these ideologies that we have, oftentimes we're not aware of them until some other ideology actually comes in and disturbs what we believe and the reason why i love this story so much because isn't that what we're seeing in the book of matthew people are living their lives with certain beliefs and thoughts and here comes god coming in proclaiming a kingdom that's so unlike anything that they've seen he's disturbing their world disturbing their belief system And so listen to what she writes. She says, the signs and scenes of Jesus in the gospel accounts challenge many of the cultural norms we have grown accustomed to unthinkingly, turning upside down ideas of authority, power, and glory, and presenting us a kingdom that reverses everything known. What kind of king crouches down to his subjects to wash their feet? What kind of leader tells those under him that the way to the top requires a dedication to the bottom? What kind of meal promises to lift us up to another kingdom where we are ushered into the presence of the host? And what kind of host actually claims that he is the meal? Right? And so Jesus is just countering and going counter to what The beliefs are. Now, I asked this question to you this morning, right? This is going to be some uh, involvement from you guys, all right? You're not just going to sit there and listen today, okay? You're going to be involved. So my question to you is, tell me, what are the two groups that Jesus most often is speaking to and opening up and challenging their views? Give me one group. Well, it's definitely the Jews, but let's go. Who were the religious leaders? Pharisees is one right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? What's the other group that you often see Jesus opening up their eyes? Think of a group that was very, very close to Jesus. His disciples. And so you see Jesus often challenging and opening up their eyes to what was going on, right? And so Jesus does it. He does it by asking questions, and he leaves space for them to come to him in faith faith. And that's what we're going to look at today. So, the big idea of today is this. Change your mind and believe. Change your mind and believe. And I wrestled with this title all night long. I call it Change and Believe. That's the name of today's sermon. Change and Believe, right? Put a lot of thought into that. And so, the main idea is this idea of turning to Jesus in faith. And so, we're going to look at that today in Matthew 21 verses 18 through 32. Matthew 21, verses 18 through 32. And so if you need a Bible, we have Bibles up front. Uh, We'll also have it up here on the screen. And so let's pray before we get started. Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you that we can come before you and open up your word, Lord. And so, number one, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand this scripture today. And the second thing, Lord, is don't just let us have an understanding but also help us to do it and to convict us. Where do we fall short? Where do we need to turn? And where do we need to turn to you for help? And so we ask this and pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. And so let's start off with verse 18. It says this. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have. Have faith. And so Jesus is hungry. And he's walking down this road. And what does he see? He sees a fig tree. Now, this is a really tough question. Fig trees are supposed to have what on them? Figs. There are no figs on this tree. He only sees leaves. It has the appearance of a fig tree. It looks very much like a fig tree. But there is no fruit. And so Jesus says, May no fruit Ever be found on you or come from you at again and the fig tree withers. Now, when you look at the scripture, when you read, when you read, uh, when you read some some commentaries, what it talks about is that the fig tree represents the state of the Jewish nation. They have the appearance of godliness; they're doing religious things, but there is no fruit. There is no fruit. Jesus comes seeking fruit and he doesn't find it he only finds leaves and so what he's saying is there's a show of religion but there is no fruit of godliness and so the tree withers he pronounces judgment on the tree and his disciples are amazed how did he do that and Jesus is saying to them You can do the same thing, too, if you have faith. In fact, you'll be able to say to this mountain, move and be thrown into the sea, and it will. When you have faith and you ask in prayer. Now, it's not just a blind faith. It's faith in who? Faith in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus. And so the first application that we see here really is about simple faith. Jesus is teaching them about simple faith right here, but faith in him. Listen to what Jesus says when you go in the book of John. In John 15, 7 and 8, 8, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you stay close to me, if you believe, if you're obedient to what I say, and this relationship is really close, and the things that I say abide in you and find life in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. My Father is glorified. People see him and know him when you ask and you receive. You ask and you receive because you'll be bearing fruit and people will see him. But it comes from abiding in him and his words abiding in you. And there are many people today that have the look of those that are religious. They're doing all these religious things, but they bear no fruit of godliness at all. They're just doing things, religious things. And so in 1996, people often ask, well, when did you come to know Jesus? I say 1996 because I remember literally getting up from my seat and walking down the center aisle of the church to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. But I'll be honest with you guys, I sometimes look back and I'm like, I don't know. I said the words, but trust me, there was no fruit of godliness in my life at all. There was nothing. It really wasn't until about six years later when I began to really see the fruit. Now, so only God knows that. Only the Lord truly knows that. But I know, and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, did I bear the fruit of one who has placed my faith in Jesus? And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, do you bear fruit of someone who has placed faith in Jesus? In Jesus, is there a fruit of godliness in your life? And so what can the fruit look like? Is there a change in your life? Is there any change, right? How do you relate to people? Do you relate to people at least a little bit different than you used to? Or how do you handle situations? Is there just evidence of this fruit and this change in your life? Is there more of a dependence and obedience in Christ in your life? And so Jesus is telling them, There's no fruit here. I've come. I see a tree with leaves. I see no fruit. And so he says, the tree withers. He pronounces judgment. Simple faith is needed. Simple faith is needed. And now, just like Matthew does so wonderfully all the time, watch when he goes, because we said one of the groups that Jesus often talks to is who? The Pharisees. Watch who he talks to next. And it says in verse 23, and when he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where to come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, well, that, then why did you not believe? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you, by what authority I do these things. And so here is Jesus, he's teaching in the temple, and they come to him and say, what authority do you have to teach? What authority do you have to go and overturn these tables? By what authority? Right? Tell us your credentials to get up here. Jesus understood. They were trying to set a trap for him. Because if he says, well, I don't have the proper authority, right? Then he embarrasses himself in front of all these people. Or if he says, I am the Messiah, they're going to charge him with blasphemy. And so they're like, We have set the perfect trap for him. We finally have him. Now, I call these moments right here my love Jesus moments. Because when you really begin to dig into the scripture, you see it. And I just love the way that Jesus handles these situations. First of all, Jesus never answers questions with a, a quick answer. What does Jesus often ask back to them? He always asks a question back, and one of the beautiful things why he does that, because he's trying to open up people in the assumptions that they make in their questions. As Ravi Zacharias, he's a Christian apologist, as he says, is, there's always intent prior to content. Before people normally say something, there's an intention that they have, which leads to them to say what they said. Jesus understands this. That's why when Pilate says to him, are you a king, Jesus says back to him, are you asking on your own? Or did somebody tell you this? Why do you want to know this question? And so now Jesus poses the question back to them, right? And so what does Jesus say to them? Okay, you answer my question and then I'll answer your question. The baptism of John, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or was it from man? Was it man-made? Was it from heaven? or was it man-made? Now, what is the baptism of John? John the Baptist came before Jesus, and what he was doing was telling people, repent, turn away from your sin, and turn toward the one who is coming, who is the Messiah. And so what John would do is he would literally baptize people with this idea of, you need to be cleansed of your sins. Change your mind. If you're going this way in sin, turn and go that way toward the Messiah because you need a Savior. So this is the ministry that John was teaching. And so what Jesus is saying is, now, the ministry of John, was that from heaven? Or did he make it up himself? Was it man-made? This is the question that Jesus turns back to them. You know what's interesting? As John, and you go earlier in Matthew, as John is baptizing people in the river... Who came to see what he was doing? The Pharisees. They're coming to check out what he's doing. And John sees them and he says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in your life in keeping with someone who has changed their mind and changed it toward their need for a Savior. John literally calls them out as they come here to see what he is doing. But they have no interest in repenting because they don't think they need to be repenting of anything. And so they don't change. John understood you should have fruit that keeps in line with repentance. Why? Because a fig tree has what? What? Yes, you guys are getting it fast, right? A fig tree has figs. A fruit tree has fruit. You have no fruit, so you should show fruit and bear fruit of one who has given their life and has repented. So John recognizes. This is what John is going and he's preaching. And so now they have two choices before them. What are we going to say? If we say that John, his authority came from heaven then they're going to say to us, then why didn't you believe? And besides, John was pointing to Jesus, and so that would make him right. So we definitely can't do that option. Our second option is if we say he was from man, but they revered him as a prophet. And so it would be demeaning to what they said, and they're going to be angry with us because we're afraid of what they said. So you know what? We can't do that option. All right, here's what we do. Just say, we don't know. We don't know. And Jesus is like, well, I'm not going to tell you either, right? I'm not going to tell you either. Every answer that they give condemns themselves. Because if it was from heaven, they haven't listened. And it was from man, they're wrong. He wasn't from man. And if they say, I don't know, you condemn yourself because you don't know. And so they were wrong. So Jesus has basically turned it around on them. He's turned it back around on them. But here, here's another love Jesus moment right here. And I'm going to ask you guys the same question. Where did John's baptism come from? Was it from heaven or was it man-made? Where did it come from? It came from heaven. And if John's baptism came from heaven, John was pointing to who? Jesus. So if John's baptism came from heaven and he was pointing to Jesus, where does Jesus' authority come from? You see what happens when you answer the question honestly? And so now when you go back to what Jesus says, Jesus basically says to them, I will answer your question if you answer my question first. If they had honestly answered his question First, they would have had the answer to what their question was for him. But they had no interest in finding the right answer. Their only interest was, how do we trap him? And Jesus uncovered that. Jesus uncovered their intentions. They didn't really want to know the answer. And so when we first look at the scripture, you think that Jesus is really sticking to them. Jesus is basically telling them is, I'm uncovering your heart issue. You never had an intention to really know the answer because if you answer correctly, there's your answer to your question right here. But you don't really want to know that answer. To turn to Jesus, to turn away from my sin and turn to Jesus and recognize my need for him as a savior, I have to recognize who he is. And the religious leaders, they weren't willing to turn. They did not want to turn. It was a heart issue. Their heart was against him. They had no intention to to turn to him. The hardness of their heart. By the way, what is the one sin that God hates? Say it again? Pride. Pride. Why? Because a prideful person will say, I don't. I don't want your Jesus. I don't need any of this. That's what a prideful person says. There is the Pharisees. Pride. But before we look at them and say, well, what fools they were, we're looking at ourselves. That was me. That was me before I turned to Christ. I don't need a Savior. I'm not that bad of a person. Right? You should see this guy over here. See what he did. Right? That's pride. Pride prevents us from turning to him. This is what you're seeing right now. And so Jesus opens it up to them. One of the beautiful things about this too, when you see about Jesus, is when he poses these questions, even with the Pharisees, he always extends to them an open hand to turn. But they still won't turn. Watch what happens. Verse 28. What do you think? A man has two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Now, which of the two did the will of his father? He's asking this to the Pharisees now. They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. And so Jesus, in pure Jesus fashion, in true Jesus fashion, he tells a parable to hit it home, to hit this idea. A man has two sons. Tells him to go work in the field. He says the first word, I want you to go work in the field. He says, I will not do it. But then he changes his mind, And he goes, that's us. I looked at God and said, I will not do it. I'm not going to follow that. I have no interest in this. But you know what? I had a change of mind, repentance, to where I went and I asked, Lord, I need a Savior. And I surrendered my life to Christ. And what he's saying is, that's the tax collectors and the prostitutes. They lived their life out of the will of God, but they had a change of mind and turned to him. Then you got the second son who says, I'll go do it, and never does it. That's the religious leaders. They have the appearance of a tree with fruit, but there is no fruit, and they will not turn. And what he's saying is they're condemning themselves because they won't turn to the one that John the Baptist had been teaching them. And he says, and for this reason, this is why the tax collectors and the prostitutes are getting into the kingdom before you will. Why? Because even though they turned away from God, they actually turned to him and asked for Christ to be their savior. Recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And the Pharisees, they will not do it. They have the appearance of, fr- of trees. There's no fruit at all. And so it's very easy for us, again, to look at it and say, well, you know, I'd hate to be one of those religious leaders, but that's us. It's us. How many of us are in that same exact position well, We're like, I have the appearance of one that's doing religious things, and I believe it's my religion and all those religious things that I'm doing. I believe that that's what makes me good, and my heart is nowhere near. I have never repented and turned away from my sin. We can live that way, and we can think and place our faith in doing religious things, and never have a heart for Jesus, never repent and turn away from our sin, and turn and recognize him as our Lord and Savior. That's the message that John was pointing to when he talks about baptism. He physically baptized people, but he was showing them their need to be cleansed of their sin. And so that's why he was teaching And preaching baptism, but baptism doesn't save you. It was pointing to your need to turn away and to be cleansed of your sin from who? Jesus. And who was to come? And they would not turn. And Jesus, knowing it, even reaching out to them, showing them, they still would not turn. And it's for this reason why the people you hate the most, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. This is why they're getting into heaven and you're not getting into heaven. Jesus can't make it any clearer. He can't make it any clearer for them. But it was a heart issue. It was a heart. Jesus Christ came to die. He came for the forgiveness of our sins. God, he hates sin because he sees what it does to us. He sees how it ruins our life. He sees how it keeps us enslaved. It ruins relations. It ruins everything. And what he did was rather than saying, I'm going to take it out on you, I'm going to take it out on him. If you recognize that you're sinful, if you believe and you say, I have sinned. I've turned away from God. And I turn away and say, Lord, I'm turning back to you. I believe that what I've done is sinful. And I believe that Christ's death and resurrection, I want that for me. If you believe that, if you confess that you've sinned and acknowledge that Jesus died and rose again to forgive you of your sins, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. That's what Jesus is proclaiming here. That's what Jesus is telling them. That's the message that John was teaching. And when you acknowledge what John had said, then you acknowledge the authority that Jesus came to do, or where his authority had actually come from. The first thing it's about simple faith. They were amazed that he withered the tree. But Jesus says, trust me, you'll be able to say to this mountain, move, and it'll be thrown to the sea. What is the most impossible thing? When this idea of moving mountains is something that's really impossible, what is the most impossible thing? To get into heaven on your own. Try to get working your way into heaven. It's impossible. But with Christ and his death and resurrection, it is possible. So it's about simple faith. And what do we do? We turn. Second thing is we turn and place that simple faith and the one that the Baptist, John the Baptist pointed to, which is Christ, and what he came to do. Jesus pronounces judgment on those who won't believe. And they're like the fig tree. They have the appearance of the ones who are following, but there's absolutely no fruit in their life of godliness. Simple faith can accomplish impossible things like getting into heaven. Amen? Let's pray.